Welcome to the Austin Institute's podcast, What We Can't Not Talk About. The way I'd sum up all of this for fathers, if fathers want to be good, have great long-term effects on themselves, but particularly on their children. Play with them, and the more play you do, the greater they are. It's a dose effect. The more you give it, the more they get. It's very simple. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of What We Can't Not Talk About. I'm very pleased to say that I can welcome again another of one of our senior fellows of the Austin Institute, Dr. Patrick Fagan. Good morning, Patrick. Good morning, Mariana. So thanks for being our guest. Today's episode is about the benefits, if we can call it that way, of being a father, something that we definitely must talk about. And perhaps we haven't heard enough about this topic for at least lately. And I confess that I did not myself. But before we get there, a couple of words about our fellow and why we invited him to speak about this topic. So Dr. Fagan is the director of the Marriage and Religion Research Institute, MARI, at the Catholic University of America. He is the author of many synthesis papers on factors that affect adults and children divorce, out-of-wedlock births, pornography, child abuse, religious practice, and adoption. He is presently working on the father-son relationship and sexual formation of males and the effects of contraception. Dr. Fagan was originally trained in clinical psychology in Ireland and practiced in Canada. He earned his PhD in the sociology of social policy from the University College of Dublin, and he lives in Maryland with his wife, Teresa, and they have eight children and many grandchildren. How many exactly? It's now just this week, it has become 17. Uh, Wow, congratulations. (laughs) Well, so because of this number, you probably have a firsthand experience of the benefits of being a father. And we might get there before this episode is over. So first of all, I wanted to look with you at the research because recently Mary, the institute that you're a director of, had a newsletter that was basically about the benefits of being a father, or the benefits of the interaction between father and child. So if you can, in a nutshell, what does the research say about this kind of benefits of this relationship? It's fantastic. It's about the way, just to quickly sum it up, for the father, for the child, for the mother, for the marriage, if the father engages with the child. And it's even better if the mother supports him And even better, if there's a good marriage behind it to start with, where there's good communication between mom and dad. But even if there isn't, the father engaging with the child improves the marriage, the couple relationship, and of course, the child immensely. We get into the benefits for the child, which are lifelong. And then for the father himself, his own health, happiness, and all that. So it's it's a gift that just keeps on giving, if the father gives. I see. And in your newsletter... You mentioned in particular three studies that describe this kind of benefits. And the first one from 2016 was a review about the importance of skin-to-skin contact that would be beneficial to both child and father. So could you tell us more about that? Oh, yeah. that was For me, that was a magnificent finding. I do a lot of search of what's happening in the social science, and I had never come across this phenomenon. And this was the first study that came to my mind. Now, it was done in 2016, so it's been around for five years. But I hadn't heard of it. 
nor the benefits. And it happened in Hong Kong in a big maternity hospital where somebody there who'd been following these issues took, it was about 160 couples who were having their first child and they randomly assigned them into two groups. And the random assignment is nice scientifically because that adds. And the numbers for psychological research are pretty good. 180 in psychology is darn good. Not in sociology, but in psychology, yes. So then they, the experimental group where they tried this experiment, in that group, the father, and they were all first newborns. So all these couples were having their first child. The father was then asked to strip off at the waist and hold his baby skin to skin for 15 minutes for the first three days. And then they measured the outcome, I think, at about the third month and maybe 12 months. Good follow-up measures, pretty standard in psychology, but you get a fair impact. And then the other group, they just did what they would normally do. Huge difference between the two groups. The father was bonded with their children many, many, many times, much closer. The fathers enjoyed it. And on many measures, they did hugely better. And then the child, much more engaged with the father, a lot more eye contact, slept better, health was better in small measures that they could measure at three months and and 12 months. So to me, this was amazing, particularly the bonding of the father with the child. There's a huge amount and a long tradition going back to Bowlby in the 50s of tracking and finding out about the bonding between the mother and the child, which is supremely important. But this new study, for me, broke open this area. And then I started searching and found that others had been looking at it too. And the father's bonding with the child has a huge impact. Dr. Fagan, if I may, it sounds like that the way you're describing the relationship between father and child reminds me of the discussions we had in this podcast also about virtue and how in order to build virtue and a virtuous character, one needs just to do things and habituate oneself. And somehow, is that correct? That this relationship, the creation requires some work in order, like, is that? Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Well, all virtue is made up of acts. You know, there are habits. Virtues are essentially habits, habits of the mind, habits of the soul, habits of the body. And the only way to develop a habit is by doing it. Well, in this case, yes. And behind your question, actually, I'm going to jump forward to something. Fathers who had great relationships with their fathers have a much easier time and want to bond with their child once they're born. Fathers who have not had good relationships with their fathers are not inclined to do that because they never experience it. It's almost, it's not in their bones. But we've already learned from mother-infant attachment, where the same thing happens, actually. Mothers who have had secure attachment with their mother, they take to their baby much easier. Mothers who have not aren't inclined to do it. But coming to your virtuous acts, if the mother acts as if she were securely bonded, she does securely bond, and the child securely bonds to her so she can break the cycle. And the same is true here with the father. Even though he may not have had a a natural close relationship with his father is not in mind. If knowing this study or knowing these findings, he said, okay, I'm going to do good by my kid. I may not be inclined to do this, but I'm going to do it. (laughs) And he does it. It'll have its effects and it'll have its effects on him. He will bond much more. It will break the cycle for the father 
and start a new virtuous cycle that hopefully will go on for generations. I think for me, I got very excited with this finding because I love the social sciences. I've spent my life in them. And the way I sum them up, the social sciences well done cannot but illustrate the way God made man. Hmm. Wow. They're a great assist to natural law philosophy, to moral philosophy. And all. Now they're an assist. They don't substitute and they have their own disciplines, their own ways of doing it. And there will be contrary data where you say, hey, this data doesn't seem to support virtue. Well, actually, as a scientist, I love that. Because you say, wait now, there's something going on here. If it's good data and you repeat it and there seems to be this disconnect, it just means you haven't yet, as it were, cracked the code. You haven't unpacked the secrets of human nature. And that motivates you to go deeper and do the experiments in that yeah, and the skin-to-skin contact somehow also, in a way, erases the validity of the idea that the father, you know, can be this powerful but distant caregiver that doesn't really engage with playing with the children or like spending, you know, even physical proximity with them, but just being present. And I think this relates to another study that another study that you were mentioning in that newsletter. I think it was 2011 in that case, and had to do with the health benefits, like the hormonal levels of fathers who are playing with their toddlers. So what does the science show there? Well, it's very interesting. I'm not an endocrinologist, but I know just like informed laymen, you've got oxytocin, vasopressin, testosterone. There are a number of hormones. And essentially what happens when the father embraces his child and goes skin to skin, the hormones in the father begin to change and the hormones in the child. And the hormones are the great messengers in the body. They're the ones that then send all sorts of signals or bring all sorts of messages to the brain, to the heart, to the breathing, to the cortisol levels. They change other hormones. So you get all sorts of great interaction. I'd say the skin-to-skin contact sets up a magnificent dance between the different hormones in the father and the different hormones in the baby, and if the mother is watching, in the hormones in the mother. It's amazing. And these mediate then the brain patterns. There's huge galloping ahead findings in all neuropsychology. And the pathways that are being laid down in the neurons, the neuronal pathways, of course, many of these are established by this hormonal effect. So what you're getting is the other, it's almost like an orchestra. Just think of a great orchestra or a great ballet with all sorts of dances and music going on. That's what's happening in the body and brain of the father and the child and the mother. This is fascinating. (laughs) It is. And it does nothing but good. It, It decreases the stuff that causes dad problems, stress levels and all the rest, relaxes his heart, increases, for instance, the vasopressin which increases, that causes the father to feel a greater desire to take care of his child. And in a very male way, this doesn't happen to the mother. He then wants to protect his child more. So this need to protect, this need to feel that is protecting is by being around the child. So the more you're around the child, the more you will feel this urge to be the protector? Yeah. The more you hold skin to skin. And the short way to sum up, the way I'd sum up all of this for fathers, and fathers want to be good, have great long-term effects on themselves, but particularly on their children. Play with them, 
And the more play you do, the greater they are. It's a dose effect. The more you give it, the more they get. It's very simple. It's a personal question at this point. Did you do that? Or like looking back, now that you know these things about, you know, the, what the science shows, would you going back play more skin to skin? Did you already do it enough? I didn't do skin to skin at all. No, I don't know any cultures. Maybe there are some that do that. Western Europeans, I grew up in Ireland, definitely wasn't there in Ireland. Had never heard, was never prompted at the hospital when my babies were born. I had been a psychologist. I had done a lot of marriage family and it was children that got me into the whole marriage area because I dealt a lot with children in my initial practice. And I realized that by the third year, I wouldn't see a child until I could see father and mother, even the first time, because I'd set it up so that I saw the whole thing. Most of the children I saw were mid-childhood, you know, four to eight, nine, some of them were up into the teens. But I would never see the child by the third year unless I could see the whole family. And sometimes it was hard for dad to get there and dad would say, you can go ahead. And sometimes dad were saying, I'm not coming. I said, well, if you're not coming, I'm not seeing your kid. They said, why? I'd say, yes, very important. And then because I knew by then that to help the child, the marriage had to change. Now, going back to your question on myself, I knew a fair bit about it. So I did deliberately try to spend time with my children and to do things. I never did the skin to skin. Which for our audience, it only means embracing yeah. them, changing them. So like doing what mostly the mothers do. Is that what we mean well, by what skin I, to skin? Actually, the part I, I'm talking about here is very directly that Hong Kong study. I would say fathers of newborns, I would not keep it just for three days. What they did in the study was for three days running, they had the father hold the baby skin to skin bare-chested father and, you know, they're holding the baby skin to skin for 15 minutes on Monday, on Tuesday, and on Wednesday. I would say, given that knowing that dosage is all, <laughs> I would say, do that for the first month or as long as you possibly can. And gradually you can let go of that. But that does such huge cascades, such huge benefits. I would say, I didn't do that. I don't know any culture that does. And I think that Hong Kong... I think that Hong Kong study should get a Nobel Peace Prize. It's huge. Yeah, I think that it would be also curious to know what the child, you know, once these children grow up, how much, because you say that there is a result, but like the results, the study were 2016, maybe when they are grown-ups and see how much they felt that they were protected by their parents. But this gets me to another question that I had. So going back to that newsletter that made me, you know, realize we needed to talk about this. There was a second study that was mentioned that talked about the attachment representations. And I think that that's a term that could be difficult for a non-expert audience. But it goes back to what you were saying before. If I get it correctly, what an attachment representation is, is the idea I have of the way the relationship is or should be. There are a number of different ways of characterizing the style of your relating with your child or with your spouse. There's probably a great similarity between the two, but you can divide it in three or four. Let's And for the lay audience, and I count myself, even though I know a huge amount about attachment, I think it's much better to keep it simple. Better for me too. Better for the clients I would work with. Let's keep it simple. What everybody wants is a secure attachment. That's where you treat each other well. You want that particularly between husband and wife. And before they're getting married, you'd want to make sure 
two people are securely attached who are going to make vows for life. Now, how does that, how, that's expressed in all sorts of kindness? It'll be expressed in touch. For somebody who's securely attached, given their own parental background, it's easy for them to touch appropriately. You know, they do it, there's a warmth, but it's not erotic, it's not seductive, it's communicating, I like you, and I'm, I'm not trying to get you into bed or anything. <laughs> you know, there's nothing overtly sexual about it that way. But between male and female, you want that secure attachment, particularly with somebody you're courting and going on to marry. And if it's not there, well, lots of people get married who are not securely attached because they don't have the capacity for secure attachment because their parents haven't given it to them. But they will have the chance, the more this knowledge gets out, of breaking that cycle. And if they know it, they can deliberately break that cycle between each other. An insecurely attached person, there's the anxious type. You can picture that. I'm sure you can picture people that you know are anxious. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Well, yes. they're not securely attached, but they can, with their spouse or with their child, become more securely attached by acting in a secure, attached way. And the reaction of the others will cause the bonding to take place. For instance, the wife who sees her husband deliberately, and he's an anxious guy, but deliberately doing the things she wishes he would do, the romantic things, whatever it is, that, and there's the book, The Five Love Languages, and different people want different things. But if he's doing that, she is going to respond with affection and bond more with him. And by deliberately acting, it's like you prefaced in the beginning, do the acts and the virtue follows. Do the acts and this outcome. And the relationship follows. Yeah, if I may, I think that what is important, and you brought it up at the very beginning, being somebody that really knows what he's doing, it's the fact that you say we can break the cycle. And I think that this is the message I need to hear. And I you know, I think I can speak for many people. We need to hear it in a you know, among our audience, I don't know what will be the percentage, but broken families are not an exception in our backgrounds. So they're the dominant, they're the dominant family form in the country, broken families. Yes. So exactly. So we're speaking the majority probably of the people who are listening have a non-secure and naturally unsecure attachment somewhere in their past. So could we argue that the importance of this kind of research could also be that the answer to some of our behaviors is not like, oh, that's the way I am. You know, like I deal this way because that's, you know, that's probably abused the term personality, but like, oh, that's just my personality. Because it sounds to me like this research can start to show that, well, actually, no, that is the result of the unsecure attachment you had. That's why you yeah. don't play. The place where this is most developed and most demonstrated is in the mother-child attachment, because that area of research is vast. It's deep. It's been going on for many, many years. And there's longitudinal surveys. And we do have the data where you can show the great phrase applies here, fake it till you make it. <laughs> you know, do it till it, it happens. You can break it. You can break it with your spouse. A bit more difficult. But if both are open about it and helping each other, oh, then you can Look, you can do anything with a helpful spouse if you, if you both agree on it. You can really improve marriage in all sorts of ways, and in this too, in particular. But with children, it's so much easier. You know, a newborn, 
like the newborn in Hong Kong. I'm sure you had disengaged fathers. There's plenty of data on this already, even on the father's side. The disengaged or the anxious dad who holds his child chest to chest, it happens. The child responds immediately. The child doesn't know the father's anxious, anxious attachment or distance. The child is experiencing attachment and phew, it happens. This is really, again, it's fascinating. I cannot find a, a better word because it just tells us so much about, you know, how simple and at the same time complicated we are. Very simple, right? In that we don't care about if our father is anxious as long as he holds us and then complicated by all the factors that we'll get into it. If we can think like a policy application of this kind of research, like does that, this importance of the relationship between father and child, it made me think, you know, of how helpful it could be to have more paternity leaves or or even just like relying on fathers more also in the very early stages of their lives. Is that correct? I'd be careful. I spent 20, 30 years in public policy. You look at my bio and I don't think the political and policy is political is the way to go about this. Now, the one thing I would like to see is more flexibility for fathers at work, but I wouldn't put any, I'm very leery of public policy in these things. Public policy has been around this and it has fouled this area up. This is great that there is research out there oh. that is showing magazines, YouTubes, you know, newspapers, teachers in high school getting this across to kids, professors in college, courses in college on this. Like there's multiple ways, actually, is to get the message through, to break the cycle. This is breakable. And actually, it's fundamental. We are all made to belong. And the people we most need, every child needs, deeply needs, and it's going to impact him and his children and his grandchildren to belong very closely to his mother and to his father. With it, he gets grounded, he gets confidence in himself, he learns how to relate to others, and it lasts generations, not just through his lifetime, through his kids' kids. I've seen that in family therapy, three generations effects on things easily. These things are transmitted. And when you think about just everybody thinks about their own family history, you can see it all over the place when you reflect on it. Yeah. And I, I mean, I'm sure that in our audience, everybody's going, you know, and thinking about memories and like <laughs> thinking about siblings and what they've seen, yeah. what they've not seen as a help for anybody who was, you know, interested in going deeper into this research and reading more or in breaking the cycle, if they, you know, they feel like there is any, is there, are there good books that you would suggest or video, you mentioned courses, videos, things that could help? Oh, yeah. I would go on YouTube. I didn't do this, but uh, like YouTube is full of so many phenomenal things. I would go on um, YouTube, Google on YouTube, search for early infant attachment, mother attachment, search for breaking the cycle, uh, breaking an insecure attachment cycle. There's loads of good stuff on YouTube between for the mothers. Now, what you can say is fathers are different, but the effect of being bonded Father has huge effects as well. In addition to that, we always tell people to subscribe to the Austin Institute newsletter because we do propagate the research that comes from our fellows, but we could also suggest that they subscribe to the newsletter, the Mary. That's right. Yes? Yeah, yes. And they can. Uh, the way they can subscribe to that is they can go to mary.us. 
That's the website. And then with our newsletter is Faith and Family Findings. And you just ask for that. And we'll put you on the list and you'll get it each week. It's almost every week that it goes out. Yeah. And if I'm not wrong, you also archive them, right? You can also have access oh, yeah. to the pa- to previous ones, which is something you do not usually do with newsletter. But yeah, I found that I could access to the previous ones. So that was also, I think, very, very good. We keep our newsletter short and we tend to use findings, actually. We don't do much talking except to describe, like, here's a great thing that's just come out in the social science, uh, psychology, sociology, economics, and mainly related to family. So I'll make sure that when this episode goes out to our audience, they will also have the link that they can click yeah. so that they can subscribe to your newsletter. And of course, we invite them all to subscribe to our newsletter of the Austin Institute for the Study of Family and Culture if they haven't yet, so that they can read more of any of the research that will come out also from you know your studies, Dr. Fagan. Sure. And with this, unless there is something else that you want to tell us, I think we, we're good to go. There was one thing. When the father is attaching to the child by doing this this bonding and spending time, he is simultaneously increasing the attachment between himself and his wife, between himself and the child's mother. This is happening hormonally in both. So he's strengthening the marriage and he's increasing the happiness of his wife. Well, if this is not the message that should go out to close our program, I don't know what else would be the Austin Institute for the Study of Family. I thank you for this gem. So take care of your children because that will benefit your marriage. Thank you very much again, Dr. Fagan. And we'll have you, I hope we'll have you again on our podcast. I love it. Thanks very much. Lovely discussion. Bye-bye. Thank you all for listening to the Austin Institute's podcast, What We Can't Not Talk About. Please share it with your friends. Please give us a five-star rating and please donate so we can do even more.